All right, so if you will turn, uh, please, in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to be back and forth in, in the book tonight, and I've got probably more than I should have to, <laughs> to go over, but uh, we'll work through it together. And um, I'm super excited about uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, I, I think that what you shared, Canaan, was, was perfect, that many of us... Um, probably read the Gospel of John. It was probably the first book in the Bible that, that we read. Uh, and uh, certainly I know uh, in all of the years that I was youth pastoring, and, and I, I think that was my number one recommendation. People would ask me, youth would ask me when they would start coming, they would say, what, what should I do or where should I start in the Bible? Should I start at the beginning, right? And I'm like, well, you could start in the beginning, right? You could start there. And if you want to start in the beginning, you can also start at the beginning by starting in the middle, and then they would look at you and be like, what, what, what are you talking about? Well, well, if you flip to John and you start, it starts with in the beginning. So the, the pastor joke kind of comes out. They, then they're like, oh, I see. You're not very funny. Um, but the Gospel of John is rich in its content. Uh, it is very much a, a book that is accessible uh, for people to read. It, it is uh, oftentimes one of those books that gets translated first into a foreign language because of the fact that it is um, very much focused on who Jesus is as the Son of God. And it provides us a different look at uh, Christ than we get from uh, the other synoptic gospels. So um, we read at the beginning the prologue uh, in, in John, and we could spend probably weeks uh, in studying just those first uh, 18 verses that, that Jake read. Uh, and, and one of the beautiful things I mentioned uh, about the book of John being so accessible in its language is that it's not difficult for us to read, right? There's not a ton of large words that we have to struggle with. Reading the gospel of John is very different than reading Paul's writing in Romans or Hebrews. Um, you, you sometimes get stuck on concepts and even some of the other biblical writers like Peter would say some of the things that Paul explains and goes through are sort of difficult to understand. Uh, and part of that had to do with um, the way that uh, Paul was a super intellectual and would, would, was very technical in his writing. John's approach, on the other hand, is very simple, right? Uh, if we look at just the prologue, and let's, let's look at that together, uh, John 1 we're going to look at, at just the first verse, and um, I, I just marvel when I read this section of Scripture about all that John is explaining with some words that my kindergartner can read, right? Um, so it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, very simple, nothing complex. You've got beginning, which is your longest word there. But if we think about what does that mean? What, what is being conveyed to us as we read that in the beginning was the word, right? Well, we have to read a little further to, to get that definition of who is the word or what do we mean by the word. But when we understand um, that if we just replace that word word with Jesus, and then we reread what this says and understand that that word is talking about Jesus Christ, we suddenly see that in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. 
And that concept for us to, to kind of wrap our minds around all of the depth of the, theology that, that John is giving us here with very simple writing is, is, a, is beautiful. It's, it's amazing. And as we continue to read, that's the way this book proceeds, is to proceed to tell us that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. And the approach that he takes in the writing, as it is simple, it is profound. And it is also a departure from the format that is used in the other Gospels, the synoptic Gospels that we have in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In those, they take the approach of trying to discuss some sort of chronology of when things occurred, and this is the genealogy of Christ like we start out in Matthew, and here are the events that Dr. Luke tells us about, all of the things that he has studied and interviewed, and then Mark gives us a, a more concise, cliff note sort of version, if you will, of all of those things that occurred, but they're telling a, a, like a chrono chronology or a chronological order of the things that occurred. John doesn't begin at the birth, because Christ didn't begin at the birth. So it's a, it's a completely different approach. And John's also not super concerned with going through all of the miracles and all of the parables and things that we get in the other gospels. We do get new information, things that are not recorded elsewhere. But John's writing style is a selection of simplified writing, very straightforward to read, it's approachable, and it is Definitely one of the places I still today recommend that if people want to know about who Jesus Christ is, they want to know and read the gospel, the gospel of John is a wonderful place to start. So um, let's talk a little bit about John uh, and the authorship of the book. Uh, so John is historically accepted as the author of the gospel of John. There's not much argument with that. There is evidence in scripture uh, that John was referred to as uh, the disciple that Jesus loved or John the beloved. Uh, and we see as we read um, that he doesn't use his own name, uh, which, is, which is fine. The writing style, he's, he's not using his own, his own name, but there is a reference to the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, and so we see that in Luke, um, that, that, that title is used uh, for uh, John. And so uh, early church writings, as well as some biblical references, we're settled on John as the writer. Uh, John's writing this sort of in um, later times, it's AD 70 through 90. Uh, we have the, the temple uh, that, that is destroyed uh, in about that time frame. So this is um, likely somewhere around 85 to 90. AD as the, as the time of writing. And there are some, some evidences in the writing, such as the, the, the name for the Sea of Galilee that's used, and as well as um, a couple other statements that are made that kind of uh, have historians date it in that area. Um, and certainly we, you know, we don't know exactly, but that's the, the, the rough time frame that we're looking at for the writing. Um, we have mentioned this already, uh, but the purpose for John's writing, as John's writing this, he did not set out to write uh, in uh, an orderly uh, fashion the way that Luke did, right? We don't see that at the beginning. He's not saying, hey, I'm writing down everything that I've researched, right? John was there, so he's writing from an eyewitness, firsthand account as one of the disciples, and he is writing 
primarily to, to prove and to show, if you want to write this down, where's the purpose for his writing? John tells us in John 20, verse 31, where he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So we don't have to really wonder or guess as to why John set out to write this, but he tells us in John 20, verse 31. In addition to this, he's focusing on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, specifically. And as he's writing about Jesus Christ as the Son of God, he is, he is using that theme to encourage and strengthen the faith of the church that was experiencing persecution. At the same time, he's doing that. That's why I'm saying this book is like layers of depth. It's also writing to in, uh, educate people about Christ. We would have been in the point now where people would be uh, living that were not firsthand uh, didn't have firsthand knowledge of Christ. The gospel had spread, the church had spread because of persecution, and those who are reading John's writing may have been hearing many of these things for the first time. Uh, and, and so John is, is writing to educate. This, this book also would have been used, even back then, potentially to educate uh, people about Christ and the gospel message which is interesting to think about gospel writings today. We, we have tons of gospel material that is, that is written, tons of pamphlets and books and things like that. But to think about the fact that one of the first uh, tools that people may have used to educate others who were uh, uh, not a firsthand you know, experience with Christ or had not lived in that time, they would have been able to use uh, John's writing for that as well. Um, there are... A couple of things that I'm, I'm going to give you that are, um, I think, really neat if you want to make some notes in your, your margins or, or in, in some white space in your Bible. In my Bible, I have a nice big white space right here before John. Sometimes I will put notes in that section. Um, and the, the first one that I'm going to give you is that inside of John, John uh, records for us seven I am statements. Now, these statements are statements that Christ makes. They're uh, metaphors that Christ uses. And the, the importance of the I am statement, again, remembering John's purpose is John is showing that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God, that he is um, everything that he said he was. He is drawing us back mentally to the I am of the Old Testament. He is giving us um, a picture of uh, who spoke to Moses at the burning bush? Who sent Moses to uh, the Egyptians? I am who I am sent Moses. So when they hear I am in this time from Jesus, Jesus is telling them using a metaphor, I am who I am. He is claiming to be the son of God. He is claiming to be God, in fact. And so when they hear that and you read in scripture and you see people getting all upset when Jesus says, I am, well, that's why they're getting upset is because Jesus is claiming that he is the Messiah. And um, I, I, I am going to share this with you with the, the chapter and verse so that you can, you can make notes of these. Uh, we actually had a sermon series on this at some time ago. If you guys want to check out the online stuff, Josh preached through the um, seven I am statements. But first is 
I am the bread of life. That's in John chapter 6, verse 35. Second is, I am the light of the world. It's John chapter 8 and verse 12. Third is, I am the door. It's John chapter 10 and verse 7. Fourth, I am the good shepherd. John 10, 11. Number five is, I am the resurrection and life. John eleven twenty five. Six is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's John 14, 6. And number seven is, I am the true vine, which is John 15, 1. Now, in addition to these, there are two additional declarations that, that Christ makes that are even more explicit in his telling them of who he was. Uh, in, in John eight fifty eight. He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Again, Christ telling them that he is, I am. He is God. The second one, I love this. I love this. If we, if we think about what it means to stand in the presence of God and hear God say his own name, which that is the name that there is no name above, if we were to look quickly at John chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 4 through 9, this is actually taking place when Christ has betrayed and he's in the garden, and they are coming to arrest him. And scripture says that then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it? That you're seeking. Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. And look at this. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. At the name of Jesus Christ, one day, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here he, he simply says, I am he, Jesus of Nazareth. And at the I am, they actually stumble backwards and fall down because Jesus just told them who he is. Now, we're going to read on and see that because Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him, he was going to allow things to occur. And he was going to basically coach these guys through how to arrest him and put him on trial and put him on the cross because he needed these things to occur. Jesus knew they were going to occur. Jesus could have stopped it at any moment. A guy who says, I am he, and makes people fall down can certainly walk away from them had he wanted to. He had already done that elsewhere in scripture. It wasn't his time, he simply strolls away. But here, he does not. And then he asked again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said, I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. The declarations of Christ of I am in John's gospel are wonderful reminders of who he is. 
Each one of those, if we read through that he is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world, that he is the door, he is the good shepherd, he is the resurrection and the life, he is the way and the truth and the life, and he is the true vine, all tell us something about who he is. They tell us about how he is God. They tell us about our um, understanding, or they, they help explain and help us to understand who he is in light of what he has told us. And ultimately, they, they all point back to the, the main writing, the main purpose for John's writing was just to show us that Christ is the Messiah, that he is God. There is a second list that I want to give you, and I'm sorry about giving you lists, but I'm going to give you a second, a second list. These, these are important things if we're looking at the, the aspects of John. Uh, John, I told you a little bit earlier that John didn't go into recording all of the miracles and all of the parables, but he does record for us seven signs. Okay, uh, again, there's, there's importance for us to understand seven, right? We've got the seven that are being re reflected here again, the seven signs or wonders of Jesus in John's gospel. Uh, the first one is the turning of water into wine in John 2, 1 through 12. That is the first public miracle that Christ works, um, and it, it shows us his control over the physical world. It shows us that he can uh, basically do whatever that he wants to do because he created it, right? We're told at the beginning of John's gospel that everything that has been created was created and it was created through him, right? Well, someone who created everything should be able to exert control over the things that they have created. Jesus shows us that easily with turning the water into wine at the wedding at Canaan, John 2, 1 through 12. Second, you have the healing of the nobleman's son, Christ also showed that he was powerful over disease. And in a word, he's able to heal without even being physically present. That's found in John chapter 4, 46 through 54. Third, we see him healing a man at the pool. Again, Christ showing his power over not only sin, but his power over illness. That's found in John 5, 1 through 11. Next, this is number four. This is the feeding of the 5,000. John records this in John 6, 1 through 15. Christ, recognizing the needs of the people, fulfills their needs, and there's an abundance left over, right? Once again, showing that he has the capability and power not only to provide for and protect the, the people, but he is able to do so in an abundance. And it's one of the most taught Sunday school lessons, I think, if you, if you were to uh, ask a kid's Sunday school uh, you know, teacher, you know, how many times have they, ta they taught about the feeding of the 5,000, it's, 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 it's one of those top ones that shows us the power of Jesus Christ and, and how he can do amazing things because he is God. Number five, walking on water. This is recorded in John 6, 16 through 21, right after the feeding of the 5,000. Again, showing Christ's physical control over the physical world. I love the fact that he tells them to go on ahead and he'll catch up with them, and those disciples don't question it, right? They just get in the boat and take off. And later on, Jesus comes out walking to them on the water. Wonderful story. Um, it, it's... it's it's amazing to see as we, we often talk about 
Peter's response in coming to Christ on, on the water, uh, and we talk about how he takes his eyes off of Christ and begins to sink. There's so much, again, that we learn in these wonders of, of Christ. Number six is the healing of a, a man born blind. It's John chapter 9, 1 through 12. And the last one is the resurrection of Lazarus, which is in John chapter 11. Now, this last one is one of my personal favorite uh, signs or wonders from uh, the gospel of John. And I, the reason that I love this is because when we start to talk about Easter and we start to talk about Christ being resurrected after being dead and in the tomb for three days, I often want to just say, I raise my hand and say, wait a second, Lazarus was dead for four days. Why are we, why are we so surprised that the guy who could bring a guy who had been dead four days back was able to come back himself after three, right? Um, it's, it's not amazing to me because he's already done it, right? Now, it, it is an amazing story, and I don't, I don't want to make light of the fact that it was only three days, but it, it is, it is a, a display of God's power through Christ over death already. He was tipping his hand. That three days that Christ was going to be dead, which is Friday afternoon-ish, Saturday and part of Sunday morning, that's, that's the three days that we're calculating for the three days of Christ in the grave, God has already shown that that is not going to keep him in the grave if Lazarus is called forth by Christ, right? And, 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 and it's, it's, it's a show that, that Christ has already has the power, but he is going to display it once and for all on the cross for us by not staying in the grave, by being raised and, and, and showing the world that even if we were to kill his physical body, that we would not defeat him. Now, in addition to these, these lists, I'm going to give you an outline here in a second, but I want to talk about some words that are used a lot in the, the gospel of John. Uh, there are two words specifically uh, that, that we see that are used in knowing and believing, okay? These two words are, are used some 90 times each in the gospel of John. And it's interesting for us to recognize that these are I-N-G words, right? These are action words, knowing and believing. They show that knowing God and believing in Jesus are actions. They require actions. If I say, I love my wife, but I don't show any sort of affection toward her, I never tell her, I never do anything for her, her natural assumption is going to be that I don't love her, right? And as it relates to our relationship with God, our God is a living God, right? Our God is a God that is at work in this world. He is at work in our lives. He is at work in our hearts. And we, who are believers in him, should have an active faith. We should have um, a, a sense that we are interacting with a God who we want to know. So we are actively knowing or trying to know more about him. We're believing, and our believing is an action that requires us to continue to believe. Just like I gave the example of the relationship with my spouse, we are continuously working on our relationship. We're loving each other by continuing to communicate, continuing to tell each other that, to continuing to do things for each other. In a similar way, 
We, the church, the bride of Christ, are to continue to engage and talk with God through prayer. We are worshiping him with our songs and with our tithes. We are engaging with him because he is an engaging God. He is alive and at work and he is working, right? And so John wants us to understand that we are not worshiping a lowercase g God that is in some you know, corner of the room, right? That is not alive. Our God is alive. Our, our, God is, our God is active. And so we're knowing and believing and it requires action on our part. Not that we're doing it out of compulsion or out of works. We talked about that this morning in our sermon this morning. We're not saying the gospel plus works, but we're saying that it's the gospel for us to be Uh, knowing God and and loving God and worshiping God. Now, we're going to move to the outline. Um, And for the outline, once again, you know, I I, I think we say this each time we start talking about these big, you know, overarching books. Maybe it's easier with Ezra uh, for us to give you an outline um, when we're looking at like a fewer number of chapters. But when we're we're talking about books with 21 chapters and, and lots of uh, information for us to uh, to, to kind of digest. I wanted to break it down into some semblance of uh, simplicity, since I said the book was an easy read. Um, and uh, this is how I've chosen to break it down. To break it down, we're, we're going to look at it from five uh, five points. I should have done seven, probably, since there's the other three, other two lists. We got three lists of seven. We'd have had a we'd have had something, but it's five. Uh, so the first is John 1, 1 through 18, and that's basically going to be the prologue. That's the introduction that Jake read for us, right? Um, that is going to show us that Jesus Christ as the eternal word of God who became flesh. The scripture that I, I pulled from that uh, for us to kind of illustrate the point is, uh, is verses 10 through 12, which, which says that he was in the world, the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. And amen for that. Second, piece or second piece of the outline, I would say, is John 1, 19 through chapter 12, verse 50. That's the end of chapter 12. And that's Jesus Christ, the witness and works of the Son of God. And in this section, we have probably the most quoted, probably the most recognizable scripture in all of the Bible, which is John three sixteen. And if you ask just about any of our kids in eKids, if you ask even some kids who probably, you know, don't attend church on a regular basis, they would be able to quote for you John 3.16. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in this section of scripture, we see external witnesses to who Christ is, as well as the works or signs that we talked about just a little bit earlier. For number three, we have Jesus Christ, instructions and teachings to the disciples. 
And we'll see this in John 13, 1 through the end of chapter 17. And in his teaching to the disciples, he tells them in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Number four in our outline is Jesus Christ, the passion. This is John 18, 1 through 1942. And this section contains Jesus' arrest, his trial, his uh, crucifixion. And John 19, 30 is, is an important passage that we see in here. And it says, so that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus' death on the cross is an important piece of the gospel message, right? But it doesn't end there. We know it doesn't end there. But it's important for us to understand that that death on the cross is the atoning sacrifice that was made for our sins, to set us free from the condemnation that we deserve for our sin. And the fifth and final point for, for our outline is the epilogue or Jesus Christ and his continuing work. This is John 20 through the end of the book. And the passage that I've selected for this is John 20, 30 through 31, which says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Once again, John is, is giving us almost a similar statement from, uh, from what we read earlier. Uh, and, and again, we're, we're overcome by the evidence presented by John in his book. However, he says that there were many other signs that he did in the presence. And that if they were written, you're not, you're not going to be able to, to have enough books to contain all that, that Christ has done. So the Gospel of John, I've given you the seven uh, signs, I've given you the seven I am statements, we have an outline for it. Let's talk briefly uh, just about some of the uh, summary things and, and, and I'll mention one other, one other thing that we want to be aware of as, as we read and study uh, John's Gospel. Um, the earliest manuscripts, you may have in your Bible uh, a line where the end of chapter 7 and chapter 8 is. My, my Bible has a little line here that, that starts before chapter 8 and goes through uh, the 11th verse of chapter 8. The earliest manuscripts did not contain uh, 753 through 811, but they're included in our scripture because they are not out of line with the rest of uh, the Gospel of John from a theme perspective or from a character of Christ perspective. Uh, when we read those, um, the, the note that has been added in my Bible and maybe in yours, it just has like a little italics and a note at the bottom. It just says that the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses. That doesn't mean that we don't preach those, right? It doesn't mean that we don't read those, and it doesn't mean that they're not valuable to us. It's just there as a note to let us know that in the early manuscripts, because we're trying to be super careful with the handling and translating of God's word, we need to know that those weren't in the earliest copies that we have. 
It doesn't mean that it wasn't there originally. It just means that as far as verification is concerned, those aren't in the, the oldest translations. Now, in that section, we see an adulteress being forgiven. And again, when we read through that, it does not sound uh, inconsistent with our Lord and his dealings with people who are caught in sin. And so it has been included and in, is included in our, in our scriptures today. The Gospel of John, as we look at connections uh, in, in a way of kind of summarizing and bringing our, our study this evening to a close, um, when, we, when we read through and we see the I am statements, again, that should make us think back to the Old Testament. So John is connected to the Old Testament through all of the I am statements. It begins with the beginning. We're to think automatically about Genesis, the beginning of all things. When we read Genesis in light of what we read in John, we get a lot of additional information on creation because of what John's gospel tells us about who was there, Jesus Christ, who the word is that was there in the beginning. And when we see God speaking and creating through speaking, we see that Christ is the word, right? And so we understand more about the Old Testament because of John's writings. When he talks about the bread and he feeds the 5,000, we should be thinking about the manna from heaven that was provided in the Old Testament. When we see him walking on water, we should think about the parting of the Red Seas. There's so many things that, that connect the Old Testament to Jesus in those I am statements. And it's it's way beyond what we have time to discuss tonight, but those I am statements are there, I believe, absolutely to make us think back and show us those connections to the Old Testament. Um, from a practical application perspective, there is a ton that we can see uh, in the loving nature of Jesus Christ and how he met and engaged people where they were in their life. Uh, Christ showed love and compassion, but he did not hold back from sharing the truth. He was sharing truth in love. We can take that as a practical application in our lives. When we encounter people, whether it be because we've stopped to get gas or because we've encountered someone at work or because we happen to be around someone in a store or shopping type situation, there's plenty of opportunity for us to show the love of Christ by engaging them in conversation and then by sharing truth in love. Christ's words uh, in John are, are those that we should, we should seek to remember, those that we should seek to store in our hearts that we will not sin against him and they go well beyond what we read in John 3:16. So I would encourage you to read additionally and see what you can memorize from the book of John. I actually know a lady who I thought was going to be here this evening. Uh, I, I don't see her out there. She has chapters of John memorized and it is a wonderful blessing to hear her quote from the gospel of John. So I would encourage you as you read, because it is accessible, because it is easy to understand, it should also be easy for us to commit to memory. And as we commit to memory, we will be making ourselves all the better for storing up God's word in our hearts and minds. So we have seen, uh, in closing, John's gospel has lots for us. 
If you wanted to do a study on one of those sevens, if you wanted to use the outline for reading, I would encourage you to do so. There is a wealth of information in John's gospel. It is a wonderful place for us to start reading. And if anyone ever asks you, man, the Bible just seems overwhelming, where should I start? Is start them in the gospel of John. Start them in the beginning that's in the middle. Please join me as we close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the writings uh, that we have contained in Scripture. Lord, we thank you for the Gospel of John. We thank you, Lord, that through it you have shown us Jesus Christ is your Son, that he is the Messiah that you sent into the world to die for our sins, Lord, and to make a way of salvation for us. We thank you and we love you, Lord. We thank you for preserving the Gospel of John for us. We pray that you would be with us now as we go our separate ways this evening. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. You are dismissed.